Good morning. Looks like a lot of people in the audience are coming off a long night of eating stuff you shouldn't have ate. <laughs> so, no, good to see you today. If you're visiting with us, very glad that you're here, and we uh, hope that you're benefited by the lesson this morning. We want to talk about several things that uh, it affect us each and every day of our lives, and that question of why, Lord, why is this happening to me is a, a very common question. I think we can all benefit greatly from a study of the God's Word and what He has to say about these things this morning. Maybe you've heard or asked the question yourself of, Lord, why is this happening to me? If I'm serving God, shouldn't everything be going good for me? I mean, why, why am I suffering? Why are these things happening to me in this way? And there's been questions that have plagued us for, for years and many people. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do these things happen all around us? Or a loving and caring God would never do this kind of cruel. Or maybe you felt like that because of your actions or maybe something you've done, maybe God is mad at me and maybe that's why these things are happening to me. Bad things are happening. I'm going through trials and tribulations and suffering and anguish and affliction and all these things are, we're going to group together this morning. And when I mention the word trial, I'm talking about all these different things that might come upon us. Why does God allow these things to happen? And these questions that come upon people have caused a lot of people to lose faith and lose hope and lose trust in God and cause them to live a life of misery and sorrow and just a miserable life that's going on around them in, in their life. They've lost all faith and all hope. And I believe that this mindset comes from a misunderstanding of what the Scriptures teach Maybe just a lack of knowledge of what the Bible says about trials and suffering. So I want to look at a few of the things that the Bible says about this, that this morning and what it teaches on this subject. I think a lot of times we get this worldly perspective of just everything happening right here and right now and don't have an eternal perspective in looking ahead of things that are going to happen in the future or things that are happening around us to affect the future. So a worldly perspective is, is a problem in that in our lives and in that way of thinking. I want us to think about that trials are a part of God's work. Trials are a part of God's work and what he does. So why the surprise? As we look around these, uh, the scriptures and some of the teachings that are in it, in Acts chapter 14, you think about Paul, and you think about him going to different places and teaching the gospel, and the persecutions and afflictions and trials and all the different things that happened to him and came upon him. And he tells the people as he goes and returns to all those places, he's established churches and disciples, and he says that, and he exhorts them to continue in the faith. And he said, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. There's going to be tribulation in our Christian walk and in our Christian uh, way of life, he tells them. And as he teaches his long, young protege, Timothy, and he teaches him about church work and what to do and how to go about doing that. And he recalls to him the times that he travels to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And through Lystra, how he was chunked, they chunked rocks at him until they thought he was dead. There was a lot of persecution and a lot of affliction that he suffered going through and going about doing church work. And he says, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So why the surprise? His, God's Word tells us about that. We see plenty of examples in God's Word about his, uh, his people, His workers working for Him, and the afflictions that they suffer through, the things that they go through. God's Word has revealed to us that, that suffering is inevitable, it's natural, and it's normal. It's going to happen to you if you're living a godly life. So why the surprise? He told us about it. He warned us about it. You know, when you think of Bible examples, you think about Joseph, you think about Job, you think about David, you think about Paul, and all these great Bible heroes and all the people that are written down for us in the Scriptures and things we think about that happened to them. What method did God use in their life to teach them lessons, to, to write it down that we remember these characters of who they are? Was it because they were all comforted and everything was all great in their life all the time? Wasn't, was it? The tool that God used was trials. He used trials in their life and tribulations that came upon them. And we read about and learn about and learn from uh, the lessons from them and, and recognize 
that it's how they overcame those things is how, why we remember them. The awesomeness and how they overcame this terrible trial that they were going through. How did Paul get through it when he was stoned and left for dead? God helped him and God protected him. God still uses trials and he still uses storms today. So don't be surprised when affliction and trouble comes in your life and be prepared for it. We're not going to talk specifically about how to 100% prepare for that this morning. There's going to be a lot of clues and a lot of different things that we talk about this morning that you can pick up from and implement into your life of how to deal with trials and persecutions and tribulations. But think about some of those things as we talk this morning. Why does God use trials so often? That's a question that comes to our, our mind. Why does he use these things? Trials have use and they have purpose and they have benefit. It may not seem like it at the time because trials aren't fun. It's difficult, but they have use, benefit, and purpose to us. And there are a lot of lessons that can be learned through suffering that couldn't be learned any other way. When I suffer, I learn about the peace and comfort and love of God that he has for me. That I might not understand any other way. God is teaching us and he is effect, wants us to effectively to change. Wants us to change, change our lifestyle and change our way to follow after him. And we can be confident in whatever tr- struggle that we're going through, that God is using it for his glory and for his good and for his benefit and for yours. Pain is not without purpose. There's a purpose that God has behind the pain. So learn from it and try to find that purpose. Through trials, we learn of the comfort, love, and peace of God. God allows these trials and tests upon us, and he sends uh, aid for us. Think about this, too. When we think about the word test or trial, God allows trials upon us, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We don't have, it's a sermon within itself. But trials are allowed upon us for our strengthening, for our learning, for many things that we'll talk about this morning, but temptation does not come from God. God does not tempt us to do evil. That comes from Satan. The Scriptures teach that plainly. But he allows trials or tests to come upon us. It is a test. It is a trial. And how will we respond and what will we learn from that? That temptation and guilt, that comes from Satan. That's not from God. He doesn't tempt us. I came across a quote I want to share with you. It says, If suffering is accepted and lived through, not fought against and refused, when it is completed, it becomes transmuted or it changes in form or in nature or in character. It is absorbed, having accomplished its work, it ceases to exist, and suffering becomes part of our growing selves. Suffering is a very important part of the process of Christian living and us gaining from God's Word and teaching us through these difficulties in our life. Another thing the Scriptures teach us and tell us about is God's blessing through difficulties. God's going to help us through these difficult times of trial and persecution. As I mentioned, trials are not pleasant. They're not easy. They're very difficult. Some are harder than others. And sometimes they beat us down, and we don't know how we're going to make it through, how we're going to take the next step how we're going to make the next hour. But look at the Scripture and what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. I think that's something very important for us to recognize and know. It's a very familiar verse to most of us. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Also in Psalm 34 and verse number 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And he tells us in Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. So look at what he's telling us here. God won't allow more than you can handle. He's going to make a way of escape. He's going to make it bearable that you can bear it. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is present. He's there with you, helping you through this. You know, a lot of times people say, I just feel so alone during this time of sorrow and suffering. I, I, I don't know where God is. I don't know why he left me behind. God is still there. God is present. I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. So maybe we've got the wrong attitude. Maybe we've got the wrong, um, this process in our life of looking for him and looking for him for comfort and strength. Because a lot of times what we'll do when we feel so um, compounded and suffering 
we'll isolate ourselves. We won't allow him to, to work through us and in us. And I'm just waiting for God to make things better. Well, God can, will make things better for you. He might in this life. He might not. He will in the next. If you'll suffer through these trials and you'll look for it, you're going to make it better. Look for what he's trying to teach us and tell us and help us to learn through, these, through this process. So don't leave him. He's there with you. Look to his word. This is a process that forces us to his word to look for answers. When I'm hurting so bad and suffering, and I don't understand. Maybe he's doing that to bring me and guide me into his word to look for the answers where the answers are. So many times we look to the world or we look to the doctor or whatever else that, that's trying to help us for, for the way I'm feeling. It's only God's word that can help me and God that can help me through that, that emotional suffering. Another thing we notice is that through these verses and things that we've talked about this morning, that suffering is temporary, it is bearable, and it is limited. It's limited. Remember Job. In verse number 10 of Job chapter 1, and Satan and, and uh, God are having this conversation, and he brings up Job to him, and he says, well, you put a hedge. In verse number 10, he said, you put a hedge of protection around him. I can't him. He's, he's worshiping you because you're protecting him. If you take that away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. And in verse number 12, the Lord said, well, okay, just don't put your hand on him, but you can have everything that he's got. You can affect him. In a way. And you remember all the things that Job suffered in the first chapter. How he lost his livestock. He lost his servants. He lost his children. And what was Job's response in all that? It tells us at the end of that first chapter that he didn't blame God. That he didn't sin. That he mourned. He was in penitence. He covered himself in ashes. He was humble and he cried out to God. And he worshipped him. That was Job's response during this time of difficulty. He looked to God. And when we remember that story of Job, another thing that we remember is that it ends right. It ended right for Job, didn't he? Because at the end of his life, he doubled all of his possessions. He doubled what he had before. He was a very rich man, but now he's even richer. He's got 10 more kids. He lost his kids, but now he's got 10 more. He blessed him. And I'm not saying that every time in this life that, it's, man, it's going to end good in this life. It may not. You may suffer for the rest of your life. It may be terrible for the rest of your life. But think about the example of the beggar, Lazarus. You know, Lazarus had it pretty rough in this life, didn't he? You know, he sat at the gate of the rich man's house, and he just wanted, his body was full of sores, he was afflicted. And he just wanted the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table that he could eat, where he'd have just a little bit to eat. That's all he desired. And we never read of or see that, that he had any comfort from the trials and suffering in this life. But as you read that story in Luke chapter 16, you read the story of him being comforted in Abraham's bosom. He has all of his needs met. Everything is great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, though he suffered in this life, it's just a short time, and it's really not about this world. It's about the afterlife. It's about eternity. It's going to last forever, not just a short amount of time here on this earth. Well, think about that. Let's think about just a few lessons that we are taught through suffering this morning. First of all, trials show God's power. As you think about the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7, Gideon is faced with a uh, terrible dilemma. He's up against the army of the Midianites. And he's got an army about one-fifth of the size of the Midianite army. Midianite army is around 135,000. So he's got a fifth of those people. And God said, that's too many. You've got too many guys. You need to get rid of part of your army. So he says, okay, everybody that's scared, go on home. So they've got just some left. And he said, it's still too many. He says in, in Judges chapter 7, verse number 2, he said, if you, if you win the battle with this amount of people that you have now, even though that's a pretty small number, they're going to think they did it by themselves. And Israel's going to vaunt themselves against me, saying, by our own hand, we've saved ourselves. We won this battle. Man, we are great warriors. So God causes them to go down to the brook and see how they drink 
of the water, and you remember there's 300 men that are chosen to fight against 135,000. <laughs> so it's 300 versus 135,000. No way to win, is there? They ain't going to win this battle. They can't do that. There's no way. The odds are too great. There's no way that they can win it. So consider this lesson that he's teaching them. God uses trials to show that he alone deserves the credit. He has the power. He's the one that wins the battles. It's not us. He makes it clear that we're not in control, but he's in control. I don't have the ability or personal strength to overcome this trial, to overcome this temptation, but I do through God and his word. He's going to help me through it if I'm living to him. God uses trials to force me or to show me to put my full dependence upon him and not upon myself because I can't do this alone. I can't do it. I can't make it through it. And that's the lesson that he wants us to learn. God deserves all the glory and not us or not me. Trials are God's tool to break our dependence on self and to trust him alone, trust in him. Trials make it clear that God alone deserves the recognition and honor and credit. We all need these lessons of humble submission to authority and breaking of our pride. And sometimes suffering is the only way that we'll learn that lesson. Consider the example of Nebuchadnezzar in, in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. I don't want to go into too much detail because I could speak on this for a long time. But in Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream. And you remember how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow to the image and they were thrown into the fiery furnace? And how that Nebuchadnezzar was mad because they wouldn't bow to this image that he established, that he set up, and said everybody's going to bow down and worship this image, but they wouldn't do it. So they were thrown into this fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, as he sees them, as they, they chunked them into the fire, and they're walking around, and there's four men in there. There's one like the Son of God or like an angel that's walking around in there with them. He sees that they're not consumed and not burned up, and he calls them out and brings them before himself. And he sees that there's not one hair on their head or anywhere on their body that's singed. They don't even smell like smoke. And he said, everybody should worship the God that these guys serve. Everybody should do that. And then he has a second dream in Daniel chapter 4. We see that he hadn't really learned the lesson of, of pride and submission to God. In Daniel chapter 4, you may not be as familiar with that dream. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this huge tree. And it's a tree that grows up and it's so huge you can see it all over the earth. And it's full of leaves and, and fruit and all the, the birds of the air are nesting in the trees. And it's, and it's abundance and animals are under it and sheltered by this. And then all of a sudden he sees someone out of heaven or uh, come down, a holy one out of heaven come and cut down that tree to the ground, just to the, to the stump there, at ground level. And then it's bound with chains. And he suffers because he doesn't understand what this dream is about. So he calls Daniel again. Daniel interprets the dream for him. He says, hey, you're, you're this great tree. You're this powerful and strong tree, but you're going to be cut down and you're going to be bound. This is what's going to happen. You're going to lose your mind. He said, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as an oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. He had a lesson that he wanted him to learn from this, didn't he? About a year passes by in Daniel chapter 4, verses 31, there around chapter 31. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's still at it, and he's about a year after this event took place. Well, he's walking around. He said, man, this is a good old kingdom I built here. This is a nice place. <laughs> Things are going good in my kingdom. And before the words even come out of his mouth, all of a sudden this prophecy takes place. And he is cast out. He's, he's lost his mind. He's out there eating grass like an ox. <laughs> and after a period of time comes by, then he recognizes and submits to the will of God. He comes to himself and he recognizes, hey, this God, you can't question him. You can't ask about why he's doing what. He is in control. He is in power. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, 
The Scriptures say, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth were, uh, are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to his hand and say unto him, Why doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for thy glory an excellent kingdom was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. How was Nebuchadnezzar going to learn this lesson that God wanted him to learn? About humility, getting rid of your pride, humbling yourself and submission to the Lord? He didn't get the lesson the first time, did he? So trial and tribulation was sent upon him so he could learn the lesson. How else could the Lord have taught Nebuchadnezzar? He fought against the lesson, what God wanted him to learn. God gets our attention through trials and suffering. Another thing that God does through trials is prepare us for service. You know, sometimes we get to feel like life is beating down upon us and and we're just being treated unfairly. But there's something I want you to notice through that being treated unfairly or through the trials and temptations. There's a lesson to be learned from that. There's an end to that. There's a, there's a, a desired product of value at the end. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, there's a desired product. There's something of great value that comes at the end of that suffering. And that suffering produces, or the end product, produces endurance or patience in my life, in our lives. Trials test the endurance of our faith. Sometimes my faith's pretty weak, but it tests our endurance. It is a test. It's trial to see how we'll stand. Maybe the trials we face are to prove that we are the real deal Christian that we claim to be, that you are truly a Christian. You are truly a follower of Christ. Think about the, the great trial that Abraham suffered through. You remember how Abraham was promised a child, a son of promise, and all that he and Sarah went through? He was an old man, past bearing ch children years. Finally, they had a kid. Finally, Isaac came. And then God says, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Talk about a trial. Talk about tough. He tested his faith, didn't he, the Bible tells us. But he said, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why God wants me to do this, but I'm going to do it. And he takes him up on the mountain with a bundle of wood, and, he's gonna t and he ties him to it, has the knife over him, going to sacrifice him. He says, I know that God can bring him, bring him back from the dead. I know God has the power and ability to do this. And God stayed his hand, and he didn't have to go through with that, didn't he? But he went through a great test, a great a trial, and he becomes what? The father of the faithful. His faith was tested, and he saw that he was the real deal. He was the Christian that he claimed to be or follower of God that he claimed to be at that time. So how will we withstand through these trials? Will we come through like Job and, and Abraham? Will we come through stronger? Will we come through confirmed and established as he wants us to? You know, sometimes even little daily trials are there to, to test us and to, to make us face uh, things that are around us and intended to help to improve my life and make me stronger. And I tried to think of an example of just what I think of as maybe a, a menial trial that I might um, go through on a regular basis or maybe even a daily basis. I thought about, well, just being nice to mean people. <laughs> you know, that's, they think they not that easy. <laughs> Sounds like it would be, but it's not. <laughs> and there's people that... Little trials come into their life and it just ruins their whole day and they try to ruin my whole day sometimes. Now, how do I handle that? You know, it's just a little test, a little trial that I ought to, I ought to be able to scoot through pretty easy, but sometimes I don't. 
You know, in Luke chapter 6, it talks about this type of being nice to mean people kind of thought process. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. It says, you know, if, you, if you're being good to people that are good to you, well, I don't mean nothing. Everybody does that. Even sinners do that. If you lend to people hoping that they'll pay you back and you're pretty confident this guy's going to pay you back, well, anybody does that. You don't get a reward for that. Well, what about when you're mean to, or you're nice to mean people or lend to those that, you know, they're not going to pay me back. I'm not expecting anything back. He said, give to those and, and don't expect anything in return and your reward will be great. I'll help you through this. I'll help you through that trial. <clears throat> and you will be the sons of the Most High God, for He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is also merciful. Be like Him. Tribulation worketh patience, as it talks about here. What's the end product? When suffering comes in my life, what does God intend for me? What's He want me to get out of this? The end product, or when it's fully accomplished, it brings me to endurance, that I can endure more, that I can do better next time, that I can be stronger. That is His will for us going through these trials and temptations. As God produces in us a greater fortitude or capacity to deal with more hardship, He brings out our character, character in us. Character means to expose the quality of what's being tested. Well, just like we talked about, sometimes I don't handle those trials very good. So it kind of shows my character or my faith and how it's being tested. It's important for us to know our areas of weakness. How am I going to know what I need to work on, what I need to do when a trial comes my way and all of a sudden I'm just flabbergasted? I don't know what to do because all these things have come down and pressurized me, come upon my life, causing me to suffer. What am I going to do? Anger, patience, hope, all these things are things that that I need to work on, or all these things are things that we see in our lives through trials that we need to work on. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and after he talks about this same type of uh, process, after that you have suffered a while, perfect. It's to bring us into completion, to being spiritually mature, being a complete Christian. Also to establish us, or to, start to change our direction, to point us in the direction to go to strengthen us and to settle us, to provide a foundation of how I, I can live my life and how I can handle that stress and temptation. You see, endurance to bear whatever, whenever. That's where, the point we're trying to get to. When we get to a, a certain trial and temptation, something that presses down upon us, I want to be able to make it through it and skirt through it easy or easier the way God wants me to. Hanging in there, having hope. Much like our physical body grows stronger through the stresses of exercise, which I don't do a whole lot of, our soul grows stronger through trials of life. Trials make us stronger, make us a stronger Christian, or should make us a stronger Christian. They can also break us and make us walk away and lose faith like we talked about in our introduction this morning. But without trials, our body and soul become weak and complacent. You know, I think about in my own life, and I think about sin that comes upon me, a regular sin that I struggle with, and I don't practice self-control. You know, that just keeps on coming back. I know I shouldn't do it, but I give in to it. What happens? I don't withstand that trial, and I become weaker in that way. But what happens when I do practice self-control, I become stronger. And it helps me. It's a little easier next time if I won't give in to it over and over although I often do. There's one more thing I want to share with you before we move on from this point. There was a story that I read about a lady that uh, was a preacher's wife. She had a young child and, and lost that child. Very difficult situation, very hard. One of the things that we think of in this life is, man, how does someone make it through that? How, how do you do it? And this lady was really struggling and really hurting. And she said, well, maybe God's mad at me. She was one of those that said, maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe God's mad at me and he's taken my baby from me. And the lady, a wise lady, gave her some counsel. And she said, why don't you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 
and you're going to find your answer of why this happened to you. That's the advice that she gave to her. Let me read that verse to you, a <clears throat> series of verses. <clears throat> Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for our consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we suffer, or whether we be comforted, <clears throat> excuse me, it is for our consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. She said, Maybe this has happened to you so that you can console and comfort others. We don't always know what the lesson is that God's trying to teach us. But maybe this was the lesson that he was trying to teach you. Now you can comfort those. You can console those. You're in an awesome position to help other people who are going through their life. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's not. But she was in that position, wasn't she? She'd been through it. She knew it. She knew how it felt, and now she can help others. She can live through that. Another lesson that God intends for us to learn is that trials sanctify and cleanse us. In Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 9, the Scriptures talk about refining them as silver or trying them as gold is tried. And he's talking about the children of Israel. You know, I've mentioned that I don't always handle trials well. When things don't go as planned, I'm impatient. Um, I get upset. But these trials don't cause me to sin. It's my own personal way that I deal with that trial or I respond to that that causes me to be tempted or to sin. Only once I see and realize my sin can I allow God to work in me. And suffering, as we mentioned, has proved the quality of my faith. This same type of process is also mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. through 7, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are the heaviness through the manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. So again, we have this process that's going on in our life that... God allows heat, he allows pressure, he allows suffering, and he gives us this example of silver and gold and how it's tried. You know, as one puts heat under that smelting pot to get gold, he's melting the metal and he's trying to get gold out of it, what happens? Well, the impurities come to the top, and he takes those impurities off, and he may have to heat it again. I hear sometimes they heat gold seven times to get all the impurities out of it, skim those things off. Heat or suffering, pressure is allowed into our life for the same type of purpose, that the impurities will be found, they'll be seen, and they'll hopefully be removed from our life. We won't get caught up in that and, and let it dwell on us and, and turn away from God, but we'll get rid of those things in our life and we'll become what? More pure, like the gold. You know, it's when the smelter sees that the impurities are, are now all skimmed off the top and he sees his reflection he can see his face clearly in what's left in the, in the pot that he knows that the, the gold is ready. It's ready to be molded and made into what he wants it to be made into. And the same process works, or the God works in the same type of thought process or gives us this example. To get us to the place he wants us to be, he might place us in the fire of affliction. Persecution and various different things happen in our lives most of which maybe we don't understand why I'm having to go through this. But he can refine and transform me and mold and make me into what he wants me to be, to be into a stronger Christian. To get us to walk in the Spirit, we have to be renewed, uh, of a renewed mind, and that takes pressure sometimes. Trials are an opportunity for reward. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it talks about laying not up treasure on this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but laying up for, your treasure, for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break forth and steal, and you'll have a great reward. 
He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God allows trials as an opportunity for maturity and growth and strength. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer, but be faithful unto death. You're going to be tried for a short period of time, but go through it, make it through it, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. It's an opportunity for reward. He wants to bless us. He wants us to be in heaven with him. He doesn't want any of us to perish, as we read earlier in Peter. If I respond to the trials in faith and holiness, I can have blessing in the fact that I'm rewarded and growing as he wants me to. Trials are not meant to destroy us, but to strengthen us and to elevate us, to lift us up. Don't allow Satan to destroy you with it. Glory comes after the pain. The suffering and testing allowed in Job's life, as you remember Job in our example, as you read in the, at the end of the book of Job, in Job chapter 42, all these things that happened to Job, and he went through, he said, well, you know, I'd heard in Job chapter 42 and verse number 5, he said, I heard of God basically all my life. I've heard, I heard about him, but now mine eyes have seen him. I've seen him. I've come into a deeper relationship, a closer relationship with him through these things that I've suffered. Now I know what he's about. I know more about him and what he wants me to do and how he wants me to respond through trials. And now my, my relationship with him is so much stronger. Think about bad experiences you've had in your life. Think about the worst experience that you've ever had. Maybe that's emotional or physical, whatever that is. Something that, a bad experience that you've had in your life, a real trial. Have they helped you to be a better person? More mature? Understand your life and yourself a little bit more? How did that affect you? Experiences help us grow by gaining knowledge and wisdom of what God wants to. He wants us to grow with knowledge and wisdom. You read in the book of Proverbs about knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And that's a reward. That's a great blessing that he has for us in trials. Help us learn that lesson of wisdom. You know, as I think about probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me, especially as a, uh, physically, is when I tore up my knee in high school. You know, there's a lot of bad things that happened from that. You know, I, I, it was about 10 days since I had a, got my new truck. Most important thing to me in this world, I wanted to drive. I was ready to drive and, and start doing that. Sports were important. Couldn't play sports. Tore up my knees in a cast for three months. Couldn't walk. Got out of the cast and my leg was about that big around. Took forever to build it back up and get it straight again. It was a terrible experience. Now I've got terrible arthritis in my knee. I'm going to have to have it replaced someday. Anytime I get active, the thing swells up. It's, it's useless. You can't depend on it. You can't count on it. Anytime I went back to playing sports, I'd run full speed and cut on it. It'd give out on me. It's no good. There's a lot of bad things that happen from that experience. And they continue to happen. I'm going to have to have a knee replacement someday. But you know, there's a lot of good things that happen from that experience too. You know, I learned about patience because I didn't have any, still don't have much. <laughs> I learned about patience. Couldn't drive that truck for a long time. I learned about the medical field a little bit. My, much of my working career was in the medical field. It caused me to have an interest in that field. Enjoyed that work for many years. There's a lot of good things that came out of that even though there's a lot of bad that happens too. I learned patience. I learned hard work. It took a lot of work to get that knee straight again and get that knee built up from being that size to this huge thigh that I have now. <laughs> it took a long time. It took a lot of effort in that. Priority was another one of those things. Sports don't matter that much. Sports didn't matter in my life. I wasn't going anywhere with it. I didn't have any talent. <laughs> so there's a lot of things, the good things that happen out of that too. But trials are an opportunity for reward. If we'll look for those good lessons and things that God wants us to gain and learn from those. And I don't claim to understand this fully, what I'm fixing to talk to you about, but trials can be for discipline as well. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6, he talks about scourging and chastening 
Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He talks about in Psalms, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Talks about chastening and these things that happen to us. There's another quote that I came across that I want to mention to you or read to you. Take away my capacity for pain and you rob me of the possibility for joy. Take away my ability for failure and I would not know the meaning of success. Let me be immune to rejection and heartbreak and I could not know the glory of living in recovery. We learn through experiencing discomfort. Weakness gets ourselves out of the way and makes us useful for the work, for his work and forces us to the word to look for answers. We mentioned that earlier. Why is this happening? How, how am I going to make it? It forces me to the God's word and, and shows me how I can make it through it. That's where the answers are found. We start with examining our heart. We're asking God to examine us, but we also examine our own heart. Every Sunday we'll do that uh, here in a minute. Start with examining your heart. God often uses trials and sicknesses to get our attention and reveal sin. As a loving father, he wants to restore us to fellowship with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, there you have the story of Paul and his thorn in the flesh and difficulties that, that came upon him in his life. And he's, he had just been received up into the third heaven. You remember how he says, I'm in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but he saw all these wonderful things that God revealed to him. And he says, unless, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And this thing I, for this thing I thought, besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, and for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Through Christ, in, in our weakness, we are made strong. He'll help us through that time of difficulty and struggle. He said, this thorn in my flesh took away the pride and conceit, lest I be exalted above measure. He said, you see, it had a purpose. It had a, a, in his life. God left it there for a purpose, that he might be humbled. And he said, I'm going to help you through it. You don't need to get rid of that. You'll be okay. I'm going to help you. You know, we think about this, these words of chastening and, and, you know, we spank our children. That's not pleasant. None of us enjoy spanking our kid, but there's a good lesson that's learned through that. There's a purpose behind it, isn't there? We teach our children a lesson through spanking them or through disciplining them, a temporary suffering to learn submission, obedience, or humility. You see, it's just a temporary suffering where they can learn, and there's a peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's something that's learned. There's a purpose behind all that at the end. There's a blessing for you at the end if you'll endure it. If you'll learn the exercise, there's a fruit of righteousness laid up for us. Winding down here. I know it's running long. I'm sorry. What is the proper response to our suffering? What is our proper response? Endure with joy in trials. How can we find peace? Talks about joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and suffering. How can we do that? Well, it's through a changed perspective, isn't it? Think about Peter and how he walked on the water. And he was able to walk on the water as long as he had his eyes focused on the king, on Jesus Christ. But when he took his eyes off of him, what happened? He began to sink. He started to look around what was happening in the world around him, and he began to sink. And the Lord had to save him. He had to call out the Lord to save him. Change perspective, looking to the king and what the, the lesson that he has for us. He's going to help us through it. Consider what God does through these sufferings and through these trials. God entrusts us with these things for his glory. He is at work in us and through us and around us. Take courage. Look and pray for the lesson that is being taught to you. When I have joy in the midst of loss, midst of trials, I'm showing the world that God is a better way, better than anything this world has to offer. Instead of complaining and self-pity and seeking sympathy from others, I need to show confidence and trust in God. He teaches us through trials, and in God alone, I have my treasure and reward and comfort. And again, this doesn't mean I laugh at trials, that I welcome trials. 
They're difficult. They're hard. They're not easy to get through. It hurts a lot. We can feel incredible loss, but unshakable joy at the same time in Jesus Christ. If we'll use that trial in the way that he has designed it to. God is still enough to see us through. You know, we often talk about a funeral and how the people that don't have a church family or don't have a support system like the church in their life, how do they make it through? When you lose a spouse or something that uh, someone is very, very important to you and and how that affects your life, how do you make it through that? And we've talked about that in, in several different occasions in groups that we've talked about or talked with in, in church people. It's hard to make it through that when you don't have a support system. You know, just here recently when we had this little time of quarantine that we had to go through two weeks, and I'm no good at quarantine. Um, you know, there's some brethren here at the, at the building that, or here at the, in the church and brethren of ours that called me and said, hey, what do you need? Let me bring you some groceries and leave them on your doorstep, or what, what can I do? And a couple of those individuals that called, it would have really been a sacrifice for them. I mean, they're strapped for, for money, for cash, for time, and it would have been a sacrifice for them, and that meant a lot to me. Because I, I know they would have done it, they were happy to do it. And I thought, man, that is, that is just cool to have a church family and friends like that, isn't it? To have such a great support system of unselfishness. God wants us to learn obedience through suffering. That's my proper response. As Christ learned obedience through the things which he suffered and he was made perfect, he wants me to do the same, to obey him, learn obedience. Suffering is a way that I can do that, learn to obey him brings us to appreciate God's love and compassion. Without suffering, how can we fully appreciate God's love and compassion? Also, he wants me to quit living in sin. That's a response. Has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. That's the will of God, that I would quit sinning. That I'd put away sin in my life and, and live for him. Now, all these are proper responses to the suffering. The sad truth is that many people have allowed our experiences, our tests, and our trials to break us and to make us bitter instead of becoming stronger. That happens around us. Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to people that we see all around us in this world and in this life. They're just bitter and they're broken. Has that been the response that's happened to you? Caused them to give up on a godly life, making us better and stronger? Unfortunately, that is so many people's first reaction at a time of trial and a time of suffering that they'll turn away from God. They'll lose or leave the place of recovery, the only place that they can recover, their friends and, and with God. And they'll say, well, God's left me. We learned earlier God will never leave us or forsake, him, or forsake us. We can leave him. And that's a lot of times what people do. You know, that's a, a very sinful and worldly response, really, when you come to think about it. That's exactly what Job's wife told him to do, wasn't it? Job's wife, remember what she told him? She told him, she said, you just need to curse God and die. Are you going to continue to have your integrity? Are you going to keep this up? Are you going to continue to serve God? We talked about his response earlier. Now she's giving her response. Now remember, she's lost her kids, and she's lost her family, and all these things too, and she's hurting. She's suffering. But she says, get rid of your integrity, curse God, and die. Just go kill yourself. She's thinking about doing that to herself, I suppose. He said, you're being foolish. You're being unsupportive. And a lot of times that's our response. Maybe she's being a source of temptation for him, too. Rage, anger, bitterness, this victim attitude that we see all around us leaving the church, all are improper, worldly, sinful responses. Don't let that happen to you. Help people as you can. Have compassion like we read in 2 Corinthians earlier. Help others that are in that situation. And finally, as we conclude this morning, again, I apologize for keeping you so long. I want to read just this uh, 
quote that I found also about spiritual maturity. Suffering is one way God teaches us maturity. Maturity is the ability to handle frustration, control anger, and settle differences without violence or destruction. Maturity is patience. It is the willingness to postpone gratification, to pass up the immediate pleasure or profit in the favor of the long-term gain. Maturity is perseverance, sweating out a project or situation in spite of opposition and discouraging setbacks. Maturity is selflessness, responding to the needs of others. Maturity is the capacity to face unpleasantness and disappointment without becoming bitter. Maturity is the gift of remaining calm in the face of chaos. This means peace, not only for ourselves, but for those whom we live for and those who whose lives touch ours. Maturity is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. Maturity is humility. A mature person is able to say, I was wrong and, and I'm sorry. And when he is proven right, he does not have to say, I told you so. Maturity is the ability to make a decision, to act on that decision, and to accept full responsibility for the outcome. Maturity means dependability, integrity, and keeping one's word. The immature have excuses for everything. They are the chronically tardy, the no-shows, ones who fold in the crisis times. Their lives are a maze of broken promises, unfinished business, and former friends. Maturity is the ability to live in peace with that which we cannot change. Isn't that what God wants of us? He wants us to grow into the very image of Jesus Christ. That our words, our actions, our ideals, our <clears throat> purposes, and our very thoughts even to be like His. You must be spiritual to see spiritual things. He wants us to be spiritually mature and to grow. Trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician describes because we need them. And he proportions them with the frequency and weight of them to whatever the case requires. Sometimes we don't get the lesson like Nebuchadnezzar and we kind of prolong the suffering and difficulties in our life because... We're not getting the lesson that's, that's being taught. I hope something we said here this morning has benefited you in some way. The church is here for you. If you've allowed bitterness to, to creep into your life, you need to get rid of it. It's just going to bring you down, can cause you to continue to, to suffer. Put that away from your life and follow after him. Look for the lesson that the trial that you're going through uh, that God has in, in mind for you. So if there's anything that the church can do here for you this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing together.